Welcome to the 36th episode of Egg Timer Philosophy, a podcast where philosophical ideas are scrambled up in about five minutes. Today's episode is devoted to what seems like an easy enough question. What does it mean to use something? This is also a question that is unfortunately ignored by most philosophers whose work depends quite a bit on the concept of use. On the surface, it might seem like there is an easy or even obvious answer to this question of what it means to use something, but this first reaction is misleading. This is also one of those questions that often confronts both philosophers and non-philosophers alike. It's tough to get through a day when the language of use is not invoked in everyday ordinary language by just about everyone. And many areas of philosophical thought also invoke the idea of use. For example, when topics surrounding property rights are invoked, the idea of use is almost always part of the equation. For example, consider the right that someone not use your land without your permission. Without a clear view of what it means to use something, understanding a right like that will be pretty empty. The problem isn't that we can't understand use when we see it with an example. You pick up a fork to eat some spaghetti. You use the fork and the spaghetti. The problem comes more with finely tuning a strong definition of use. So let's start with the most commonsensical idea as a way to form a good definition of use. Use could just be when a person physically interacts with some object or thing. This idea fits well with lots of examples that we see in everyday life, such as eating the plate of spaghetti. The idea does a lot of work, but it won't offer a good definition of use. This is because there could be cases where a person might be using something without physically interacting with the thing, and there could also be other cases where a person could physically interact with something without using it. To put that in philosophical language, physical interaction might not be necessary or sufficient for use. Let's consider these ideas in turn. Say you buy a piece of land in New Zealand in an online purchase. You never physically interact with the land and never plan to. You buy the property for rental income. If it's true that you are using the land, then your physically interaction, then your physical interaction with that land is not necessary for your use of the land. Now you could say that you're using the land in a non-physical way, and I would agree with that. But that just begs the question then what is the use supposed to be if not limited to physical interaction? Or what about the roof above your head covering you from the sun and the rain outside right now? You're not physically interacting with the roof most, with the roof most of the time unless you're up on a ladder, but it seems like you could still be using the roof when you're on your couch reading a book. And now think about cases where a person might physically interact with something but it might be that they are not using the thing they're physically interacting with. A person could, for instance, be sleepwalking and open a door to go into another room, but given the action did not clearly involve any will or volition, it might be that the person is not using the door. The case is a bit less clear, and we'll come back to it in a moment, but there do seem to be cases to be there do there do seem to be cases where a person could be touching or moving an object but not using it because they have no volition or will in that use. Advanced technology puts even more pressure on the idea of equating use with physical interaction. 
For example, there are now technologies that allow a person to manipulate a computer by merely thinking about what they want to do. No wires, just a Wi-Fi signal. This technology has been a game changer for many people with severe physical disabilities, and it challenges the idea that you should be equated with physical interaction or manipulation. None of this is to deny that a primary way that people often use things is by physically interacting with them, but use can't be defined well by merely appealing to physical interaction. So let's try another strategy. Perhaps using something involves making the thing part of your plans and projects. That idea includes many cases of physical interaction, but it's a broader idea and can deal with many of the troubling cases for a merely physical account of use. You've made the roof on your house part of your plans and projects, even if you don't physically interact with it very much. But this plans and projects approach to define use also runs into some serious problems. Say that you really enjoy looking at your neighbor's roses. Your viewing of them has become part of your plans and projects on a regular basis. All good so far. But if you are using the roses while standing in your own yard by looking at them without your neighbor's permission, then by most accounts of property rights, you're violating your neighbor's property rights by using the property of another without their permission. But if that's a violation of property rights, then property rights become trivialized to the point of being completely unimportant things because they would include way too much. The plans and projects approach faces other problems as well. One notable problem is that there might be cases where a person can use something without it being part of any plan or project. First, we can rethink the sleepwalking case from earlier. Earlier I said, or suggested, that it's possible the sleepwalker is not using the door they opened, but that is controversial. They could be using the door. And if they are, this stands in direct conflict with the view that use need involve some plan or project. But the problems don't stop there. People use things all the time that they are not aware of using. And if this is true, and I think it is, then use need involve more than just merely appealing to a person's plan or project. For example, right now, all people are using various aspects of the biosphere and many of them don't know much about these specific aspects or even perhaps what a biosphere even is. But a person's lack of making aspects of the biosphere part of their plans and projects won't change the fact that they're using the biosphere. This is the end of the show, where I wish I could offer listeners a really good definition of use. But sadly, I can't. I could put together some hodgepodge definition involving physical interaction and plans and projects, but it likely won't stand up to good counterexamples. As far as I can tell, there is no strong definition of use in any dictionary or philosophical analysis for that matter. It might be one of the most important and interesting yet underexplored conceptual topics out there. Aside from just trying to make progress and creating a strong definition of use, thinking about use also helps show that most, that many of our most ubiquitous aspects of language exist without any accepted or clear definition, and that there is more work to be done. Until next time on Egg Timer Philosophy, wishing you good philosophical vibes.